On this episode of Counter Stories, we talk about what authentic solidarity looks like, how we show up for each other in a way that acknowledges our differences, but honors our commonalities. This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and executive director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. I'm Don Eubanks, associate professor in the School of Social Work at Metropolitan State University and cultural consultant. And I'm Halid Lee, owner of the Other Media Group. And Luz Maria Frias could not be with us today. She's not feeling well. And so we wanted to, uh, we brought in another guest um, who uh, we are very excited to speak with today. Cindy Rales Garcia um, is joining us today. Cindy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the Counter Stories crew? So hello, it is so great to be here with you all. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of the Courageous Change Collective. We are a three-woman consulting group um, that focuses on really growing communities of love and justice through transformative collaboration. And so we really work with communities, with organizations, with systems to advance racial equity, to create more just worlds and organizations and, you know, everything that's really needed to really create that irresistible future that we're all longing for. Um, I'm originally from Quetzaltenango, Guatemala. I've been in Minnesota since the early 90s. I came, you know, with my parents back in the day, they were community organizers and because of their work in Guatemala towards, you know, the tail end of our civil war, uh, we actually had to seek political asylum. And so that's what, you know, uh, brought us over here. But that journey of really seeking justice for our communities and everything um, has really shaped my whole life. Those are my earliest memories was working out in the community with my parents, doing their organizing work. Um, and I guess I never quit. I never stopped. I kept going. I'm married and live in Brooklyn Park with my partner. Uh, we've been here for about three years. And I love thinking about how, you know, my old farmhouse home that I live in was built by German immigrants, but now is occupied by Guatemalan immigrants and has like a Mexican and Guatemalan immigrant living on one side of our house. And on the other side, the other neighbors are Polish immigrants, you know, so it's wild and I love it out here. Well, now you all know why we're so excited to talk with Cindy today. Um, and and it's those intersections, you know, you brought to us today as we were gathering together to to figure out kind of how we were going to approach our, our conversation today. You brought um, an idea that I think is very exciting to think about and dream about, and that is authentic solidarity. Um, you know, we've we've done a podcast around being authentic selves and we've 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 been engaged with kind of exploring this question as 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 people of color, marginalized communities um, for, come from various different places. But even your description um, about having, you know, uh, uh, immigrants on both and two houses next to each other talking to each other in houses built by German um, um, settlers of this area, you know, un, of course, understanding the intersection of our native brothers and sisters who, who who's, who's, whose land we stand on. And so um, I think that idea of authentic solidarity is is really interesting, and that's what we're going to dive into today. So, so just Cindy, tell us a little bit about how you see authentic solidarity and frame that for us. Yeah, well, why don't I start by sort of how it came to mind, and oh, mm -hmm. I can open it up to all of you. You know, this question of authentic solidarity, I didn't come up on my own. I definitely have to give credit to some of my favorite co-conspirators that are part of um a network of racial equity champions that I uh, am part of co-facilitating called Reason, the Racial Equity Action and Support Network. 
And I uh, was in a planning meeting with some of my co-facilitators and we were thinking about, well, you know, we're due to have a reason meeting soon. What do we want to talk about? There's so many things to talk about, right? We're trying to think about how to be uh, create a space that's supportive for what's happening out in our communities, because this is for people who are holding space in racial equity work. And we were like, take your pick. What do you want to talk about? The Eric Chauvin trial, you know, the horrific killing of Asian women in Atlanta, unaccompanied young people at the border, the continued sterilization of immigrant women at the border, like the continued disappearance of indigenous women everywhere, things that are in the news cycles and aren't in the news cycles, things that have are getting attention, but our communities have known are are happening all over the place. Like take your pick. This is a powerful moment where so much is being revealed about the intersectionality of oppression, how all these systems of oppression are happening at the same time, but have shared roots, have a shared, you know, uh, trunk, if you will. With that. And so as we were thinking about that, we realized that part of what this moment is, is revealing isn't that oppression is happening is new. We've known that, right? If folks would have listened to us for, we could have told you that we have told you that actually. Um, but part of what this moment is revealing is an opportunity for us to really build our muscles of complexity to really understand how systemic and complex and historic all these things are that if we really are going to disrupt things and create more just world, we have to understand how things are connected because we have to understand how to show up for each other. Because until all of us are free, none of us are free. That's how entangled this whole thing is. And that brought the question then, right? If what's required of us, if what's needed of us is like intersectional approach that really calls on us to develop a practice of solidarity. But what does that look like? You know, what does authentic solidarity look like? I'm sure we could easily share a ton of stories on what ugly solidarity looks like, cheap solidarity, <laughs> performative solidarity, tokenism in the name of solidarity. And to some degree, it's helpful to share those stories. But really, the larger prompt for us was saying, what is what is authentic solidarity? And what does that require of each of us? And the work each of our communities has to do to show up, acknowledging power, privilege, and cultural difference. To be, to actually stand with each other in a way that is powerful and transformative. And that's what I'd, I'd love to talk about with all of you. You know, what comes to mind with you all as we try to figure out, you know, what, what is, what is needed for such a time as this? You, you know, it's, it's, um, interesting. There was a, um, there was an event over in St. Paul. It was in the park near the parking lot of the Sears, the old Sears, um, uh, building. Um, and it was, um, it was a gathering to kind of just hold space for folks um, last summer after, you know, as everybody's processing what happened with George Floyd and, and all that's going on. And so, and so some folks got together and wanted to um, wanted to have kind of an, a uh, uh, kind of an uh, art display. Um, we brought some of the drummers from the center over there. Um, and there were folks from many different artistic walks of life. And, and one of the things that we saw, who we saw, um, is Marianne Queiroz, um, and the, and, and her dance group, the Merchica dance group that, that, that I am seeing regularly whenever there is actions for solidarity and I see them showing up. And one of the things that they do that I love and it, and it, it centers is they open up a space of sacredness, um, um, and, and honoring of the ancestors in the, in the four directions that, that is so grounding and healing. And it, and it just sets a space that now when I go to spaces, I, I can count on when they show up 
that there's going to be that that ancestral connection is going to show up no matter what. Like it's something that's come to count on. And even if I'm I'm if I'm tired, if I'm I'm weary, if I'm coming from something that's just happened, (laughs) you know, and I'm trying to just I've had a whole day of stuff and now I'm in another space when they show up, my energy comes back. Like there are some things that we do for each other that I don't even know that we name. But when we show up and I see them there, as soon as I see um, that's happening there. And what's funny is and then we start to learn from each other. And so um, uh, when that action shows up, I remember um, being at another space and they were leading the march. I think it was in St. Anthony and it was a, an action in, in um, for the for Fernando Castillo, who I was a classmate of mine and went to high school with at St. Paul Central. And um, as they were leading the group, the march around the city, you know, every now and then they dance, they dance, they behind us and they get into it and it's serious. And their feathers were falling. And I was watching as folks began to pick up the feathers and and give them back into the basket with the little girl who was with them picking up the feathers. And folks naturally just um, saw that that is a thing that's happening and joined in without conversation about it. And it may seem simple or small. But 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 it's those kind of acts that reinvigorate me to show up on the next day and the day after. So there's some things like that that I love um, about some 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 that I've seen and experienced. So this authentic solidarity, you know, this is this is new language to me. Uh, different generation. It, it, it's a generational thing, and um, which excites me because I think uh, you know most of my adult working life has been centered around uh, probably ideas that have been um, formative or discussed in the this discussion that you said you were having Cindy with with the others uh, that are part of this network but you know for me I'm still uh, my mind is still grappling with this so so you know authentic solidarity does that mean that that eventually the various different communities of color in American Indian communities, does it mean that it's it's a it's a understanding of each each other's cultures, uh, values, morals, beliefs, um, so that you know, so that we're ridding ourselves of the biases that we've all been impacted by by the dominant culture, in order for us to come together to to be, you know, a, a force to reckon because what you know. What what has happened in our communities is this divide and conquer, and so we have to undivide all that stuff. But that's a lot of work. That's a lot of hefty work to do, and um and so I'm wondering, you know how how do you how do we progress or how do you, how do we move the, toward this authentic solidarity and 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 what you know. Who defines what that is? It, is it is it a common definition that all the communities come together and realize, or or is it is it a definition that is reached when we get there? Yeah, I think you hit the the crux of the question, right? Like, how is it not cheap or sexy? Mm-hmm. You know, just like that's cute. That's some cute stuff, y'all. Are, we're trying to do. I think you. I was so appreciate how you name just the decolonizing work right, that the root of what we're trying to heal from in leaning into figuring out solidarity is the, you know, what we lost, how we lost each other through divide and conquer, 
like this some ancestral wounds we're trying to figure out here, right? If our humanity is both individual and communal, we got to figure that out. And so I think that, you know, um, there is so much, there won't ever be a one size fits all with one definition or, or one, you know, one piece with this or one piece with that, but that, um, we have to figure out how to be able to hear from each other because what it means for me to, to show up with you and your community, you get to define that. And what I'm asking, how I'm asking you to show up with my community, you need to hear from me on, on what we need. But to be able to, to do that in such a way where we don't fall into the pitfalls of like identity politics of the oppression. I mean, we're set up. I think those are the ways that the divide and conquer gets reinforced in our in our hope to like name the pain that is so personal to us we have been taught to only be able to talk about that pain that's so personal to us in a way that doesn't leave space for also the complexity of how that pain shows up for you that we have to somehow be competing of who's the most worthy of the crumbs that white people can mm. give us to attend to that pain right and it and it sets us up in this way and i think about you know i'm so grateful for that we do have folks in history to turn to uh, I've been learning more about Yuri Kochiyama and thinking about how she, um, you know, this Asian woman that was organizing mm -hmm. with uh, Malcolm X, that was organizing beyond her community in a way that that wasn't just like, I'll show up to your protest because you asked me to and I can show up, but really was like, how do I integrate our communities in the organizing work that I do? So it's not just showing up for protests. But it is really like, I have to be thinking about you and partnering with you and collaborating with you throughout. Because when we think about, you know, like how Cesar Chavez, when he was organizing with Dolores Huerta mm -hmm. um, around, around farm workers, he was like, it's not just Central Americans who are farm workers. Filipinos are farm workers. We have to be partnering with Filipino communities as well, because what's happening with the exploitation of farm workers is across communities. Mm -hmm. So who's being impacted has to be happening throughout, not just the day of the protest, you know? And I think about leaning, how do we do that well? How do we do that well in a way that we have, we know how to honor each other's different cultures. We know what the biases are. If we can work together in our struggles, then we can show up well you know, in the more symbolic moments. I feel like those are the places we, things also get messy though. That's where things get messy for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, we've been talking a little bit about this without having a name for it. I think it's, a, or a term for it. I think it's authentic. Um, solidarity is a good term to describe the, the things that we've been talking about, about, how we can stand up with each other and stand up for each other. Um and like you said, I, mean, I just feel like there's so much going on in each of our communities right now that it's it, sometimes it's it's hard when, you know, you want to go out and stand up for another community. And then your own community is like, well, why are you, you know, this stuff is going on within your community. Why are you out there advocating for that community? And then if you're advocating <laughs> for your own community, then the other folks are like, why don't you why do you only care about issues that relate to your community? And so I'm I don't know, I'm kind of like shrinking into like my turtle shell but right now with all that that's that's that false zero-sum game right right mm -hmm. this 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 isn't a pie and we get convinced that somehow taking some time to um engage uh in in with others somehow is going to take away from and and i and i want to i want to hold that aside for a second and say you know because i've never i've never truly 
let that go in a way that that lets me go. What if I show up fully in a different space? There's there, there's benefit that comes from that, um, and I think um, you know for me. If I, it's too late if I'm showing up and having to figure out on the spot how to be in the space. You know, I think about when um, there are certain times in, in, I go to music just because of music, having a music background, but I go to, um, I go to a space where, where a song or, or, or a, a method comes in there. I'm a, I've got a, a black church background, right? There's something happens that folks who share some certain identities will, will, a song will go out and a way of engaging in that music goes out. And there's something that permeates beyond just how I see my, my own cultural space. Um, you know, one of those areas was, was with, um, um, we were with some students in Standing Rock and there were black students there and they got moved by one of the songs that were being lifted up and, and they began to sing, kind of hum to themselves song, uh, a song that we had seen in, in, in church, right? It was, it was, um, uh, uh, Tasha Cow's Break Every Chain. And they began to kind of s- sing that, but through the lens of what was happening there. And what happened was this beautiful music that was made. And that's the thing that's coming to mind is what happens when we when we engage and can pick up on when the spirit moves in a particular community and can understand that and see that. That comes from what you had spoken to earlier, uh, Cindy, about having been there before. Like if we do that pre-work, then when the spirit moves in any one of those many fronts that we're all fighting on, we kind of, we kind of know how to, how to get in and use our own beautiful music to add on to the music that's already there. And, and what does, what can that look like? It shouldn't be that, that this comes to mind in the moment of opposition to, uh, uh, or demonstration or, or, or some hard thing that's, a, that we have to address together. This work has to happen on the ground before we even get there to even notice when the beautiful spirit is moving <laughs> in one shape or form. That's, that's what's coming to mind as I'm listening to, to, to you kind of as, as play with this notion of dreaming, what does authentic solidarity look like more than a, beyond a, a specific definition. So my next question is, how how do we do this <laughs> right <laughs> so give me the answer how do we do this because i feel like a lot of times when i talk to my friends and colleagues um you know who aren't asian that we're always we always agree with each other right we're like okay so like i know that within my circle like we all believe that our struggles are all connected but how do we reach those outside of your circle well, that's 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 a different question, I think, because I, but also one that I was my mind ruminates over because I think that you know this this idea and concept of uh, authentic solidarity, and the other thing that I struggle with is is this uh, idea and concept of woke, you know, being woke and 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 uh, you know, for me, I'm a different generation. And so I hear this language coming from the younger younger generation, who is very engaged, um, leading the charge, and rightfully so, because it's always that younger generation who kind of picks that banner up from where we left off, and I believe carry it to the next level. And um, but this term woke, so this authentic solidarity wrapped around this idea of being woke. And 
And so often I kind of struggle with, you know, just my understanding of, of what woke means. So if, if woke, does woke mean that someone understands um, the, the systemic racism that's in place and how it impacts all communities of color? Is a woke person someone who understands that or is woke only used for individuals from the dominant culture? Or is woke because there are many people in the American Indian community who need to be woke? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm serious. And so, and and maybe some of the other communities that need to be woke. Um, um, and so, at least with my understanding of what that means, because yeah, I'm not even sure I might, I'm using it correctly. <laughs> so... But that's that generational thing. But at least, you know, I'm throwing it out there because I want to make sure that I'm I'm uh, understanding, you know, the conversations that those younger generations have. It, it, it excites me, but I want to make sure I'm understanding what they're talking about. Well, I don't know. We're the same age. What are you talking about? I think we're. You're getting ready to retire too? Yeah. I, that's my dream. My dream is to get retired. That's, that's what I'm moving for, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I think you're using it right. You know, I, the way I've, and I'm so glad you're, you're asking this question. I feel like there needs to be like, now we are entering the special segment on what the heck does this mean? Or what's today's term for, you yeah. know, or something. But you know, the way I think about it is everybody, everybody needs to be woke. Like, it's not just like white folks gotta be woke. It's like, yeah, white folks gotta be woke because they have the power. When they're not, like, the impacts are even harder. But, but we all do, like, within my own, you know, immigrant community, when I think about what that looks like in my life, a big moment of, um, of me thinking about being woke in my own life was when I stopped saying, you know, I'm, when folks were like, are you an American? And I'd say, yes, I am an American. I'm Latin American. Let me be very clear that the Americas is the entire hemisphere. Come on. Come on. North America, Come on. Central America, South America. My ancestors have actually been an American longer than most white people's ancestors. You know, so I say I'm from the U.S. I never talk about the U.S. as America because it, it's totally a colonizing way of erasing an entire half of the world, an entire history. Like that moment of power for me of waking up and saying my story is so much bigger than what this language can hold of letting folks know, you know, that their relationship to me is much different than they thought of giving my community much more space to be seen mm. like that, that instead of just like diluting myself into a smaller narrative, like that was a moment of being woke, of being like, no, I'm not going to believe the fog of U.S. supremacy. I'm getting out of this fog of U.S. supremacy. And that's something that I think many people in my community are trying to figure out, especially when you're an immigrant and you're just trying to like not get deported or you're just trying to assimilate or you're just trying to make it through and not stick out to claim that power of moving beyond the fog is a power. And we can do that across like I think men need to be woke to like sexism. You know, I think Christians need to be woke to Christian supremacy and privilege. I think us living in the Twin Cities need to be woke to how we so often marginalize rural Minnesota. Like all of us, all of us are in some sort of a fog that is is keeping us from each other and is keeping us in this lie that actually diminishes our full lives. So I think that that can be used 
in a whole lot of ways, and it can be abused. I mean, we can also talk about how woke can be abused and can be used as a, you know, as some sort of cheap, it can get performative, you know, mm-hmm. it can get performative and like, you have all the t-shirts, you have all the water bottles with the cool stickers. It's, it's not something that necessarily has to be super demonstrated, but more so powerful shifts within yourself that then just that change. Well, then how am I going to live my life differently? How am I going to engage with people differently? What's that in, you know, liberation for myself that impacts my life? Like that's what it's really about for me. And it doesn't always need to be talked about. I think we should, we should talk about what, what it means when we say performative. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this, this actually, Cindy, what you were saying, it made me think about that, right? So if I think about showing up authentically, right, um, and needing to raise consciousness, needing to be made aware, not just aware of, but brought into direct engagement with and in dealing with the reality that's on the ground, um, there's an authenticity to that that comes up for me. If I can show up and say, I'm, I'm one, show up, and two, bring all that I have to bear and then have a space that's open to have that consciousness increased and raised that to me, that is, that's the, the authenticity that I'm looking for for myself so that somebody can, can call out attention to a pattern that I'm in, in demonstrating or engaging with and I can be okay. So, you know, we, I think one of the things that we get wrapped in in this in in the supremacy that we're swimming in is that is this notion of somehow that if I show up and don't have all the answers and don't do it all perfectly, um, then something is wrong with me. I'm a bad person. That 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 there there's that I'm incapable of being part of solution. And I think that to me gets us into a space where I'm now interested in saying and wearing and saying the right things and doing the right things. And that's when I, when I hear performative, that's what I think of is, is the things that we do to try to, to, to be socially accepted, to not be wrong as our driving impetus. And that to me is problematic. Whereas if I can just show up and engage with, especially if I do it ahead of time, now I'm going to be showing up in a space that brings just myself as I am with room to grow and learn more of. And that's a position that to me, can get more towards that authentic solidarity. Cause, cause here's the thing that happens if I'm performing it, then in a moment where I'm supposed to use what I have. And, and let me give a more specific example. I remember being at a conference and it was a conference about courageous conversations about race. And, and we were supposed to be there in the space of growing in our consciousness together, but I'm with some white friends in San Antonio. And I ask, and I get bold enough to ask an officer, a bike cop at the moment, um, if Whataburger was still open, because I wasn't sure if it was 24 hours and this person rails into me like I'm not a tour guide and I caught him at the wrong time. I instinctively knew, you know what? You know what? I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to deescalate. I'm going to do my thing. Right. But over my shoulder, my white peers and friends are coming over to escalate the situation because they were going to use it as their moment to stand and show that they are, are, are showing up. And what happens is the officer never takes their eyes off of me. And immediately I'm in that space going, I didn't told you exactly how this goes over and over and over again. And you did exactly the opposite of what you were supposed to do in that moment. And now I'm the one now that is ended up in zip ties until the partner came over, realized what was going on. And thankfully we had one of the conference organizers there who came in and in rec shop. But in that moment, the performance got in the way of really understanding and being conscious of the pattern that was trying to be there. And so when they went to show up, it actually caused more harm for me and another traumatic experience of encountering officers for me because it, 
because the consciousness wasn't there, even though we've been doing the work and thinking that it was. And then we ended up having a real conversation and getting under to, oh, you know what? I was more interested in being in standing up for righteous and being righteous and seeing righteous in that moment than actually asking some questions and doing. So that's where performance can get problematic for me. And so, so that's just, that's where my mind goes. As I hear you ask that question, what does performance mean? And I, I'm seeing nods. <laughs> I'm sure you've encountered situations too, where folks have, have been performing and then that performance isn't, doesn't equip you to, to, for a situation. How does, how do those situations, however, um, because as I heard you describe that and part of me wants to, to view that as one of those educational moments. You know what I mean? One of those moments where, okay, this is, here's the dynamics of what just happened in that scenario and use it as a teachable moment, um, which I think in, in our efforts to, to, to bring together this authentic uh, solidarity, we're going to be going through various landmines like that and 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 uh as cindy said you know um in social work you know one of the things that i needed to recognize in terms of myself because ourselves in social work become those vessels of change and i can't be a vessel of change or or, or hope to help communities and other individuals or whatever unless i understand myself and part of that is looking at my total self. And so even though I'm a male, much like Cindy said, I had to realize that, and even though I'm a male of color, black male and Native American male, I still had privilege as a male over women. And so, um, um, you know, so there's all these various different identities that we have uh, according to our gender and, and, and everything else. But we all make mistakes, and it's all part of that learning process. And when we look at this authentic solidarity and 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 all of us being at various different, uh, I would say, various different levels of wakeness, is that a word? <laughs> Wokeness? It is now. You said it. Shakespeare did it. <laughs> you know, I mean, so... <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, we're going to have those situations where where I'm thinking I'm woke and I'm going to say something that I might actually be stepping on someone else's toes inadvertently. And, you know, there's a lot of messy work in this for us to decolonize all that stuff. And, um, but it's exciting. You know, it, to me, it's exciting work. It's necessary, necessary for us to have those conversations and necessary, I think, for us to be a part of those conversations. Um, even if we have to drag people along, you know, <laughs> screaming, you know what and I mean? And why are we afraid of the messiness, right? Like, like there's certain scenarios where we do messy and, and we know that that's a part of the process, but all of a sudden we get apprehensive about the messiness in, in, in other spaces. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm in a space of questioning why it is that, why it is that we get uncomfortable with the messiness in some spaces and and not others, right? That the messiness is supposed to be there. It's we got here in a messy way. <laughs> to get out of the mess, you're gonna have to. You might have to. You know, I just there's something there that I want to. I'm, I'm for me. I want to explore more about why we get uncomfortable with tripping over each other. It's what we do. 
And, you know, and part of it just might be how, you know, the fact that it's always been hard for us. And when I say us, I use it collectively, you know, as various, various individuals from our various communities of color and American Indian community. And uh, regardless of, uh, you know, your status here in, in the, this country, but often because we operate in, um, uh, because we're in this country and we're operating in a white supremacist system, it's it's very it's very unoften we get to be our authentic selves. Because when we are our authentic selves, we we're, we're jettisoning off a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, and how often do we actually get to express our anger at what has happened to us? collectively. And so I think sometimes that anger, and I, well, maybe I should speak for myself, you know, but sometimes I think I get afraid of my anger, even though I don't have a chance to express it all the time. But I think even my anger uh, frightens me because I, I, I'm not, I'm unsure of its limits, right? I mean, if I was to unloose my whole life of trauma that has happened, uh, how, you know, what kind of anger would that, ex and I think, I think that there's healing that, you know, we all have to do and how we all have to do that. And, and I think you throw that on top of this hard work of us coming together to be authentic in each other's spaces. And, you know, I think we have a lot of unpacking to do and a lot of talking around this and, and, um, and it's long overdue. You know, this brings two stories to mind hearing you both process that. First of all, I'm just like, wow, Don, you're so generous. <laughs> As you're like, that could be a teachable moment. I'm like, wow, you are so much more generous than I am. That is that what retirement, near retirement does to somebody? <laughs> you like, you're so much generous. Is that why you're more generous than I am? Because... Um, and I think, you know, I, I mean, listening to your story, Anthony, I, I think I'd be too pissed to be like, this is a teachable <laughs> moment. I would like to hope, I, I like to believe, and I work hard to be a person that's really anchored in radical love, but that, but, you know, that's something I got to intentionally cultivate. And the communities that I'm part of, you know, we think about radical love as unlimited grace. So tapping into a little bit of Don's spirit here but also unlimited accountability mm -hmm. that both have mm -hmm. to be present. Otherwise it's just abusive, right? One way or the other. Right. Um, and I think that that's the piece that, you know, we can choose when we have the relationship, when there has been true commitments and real relationship to say, this is worth me giving some time of not only did I have to deescalate for you all, like this moment was about you standing up for me. And now I got to like do this teachable moment and I'm hungry. I just want a freaking burger and I'm hangry <laughs> over here, you know? Um, but I think we got to, you know, we got to think about that piece. And it makes me think about when, you know, the racial uprising was happening in the, over the summer. That was a moment where I think a lot of us felt like a lot of people across racial communities felt like we need to say something. Like this is a moment where we need to stand up and make it very clear whose side we stand on. Right. And I think what was hard for me was trying to figure out, it was trying to figure out what to do with all the white people who all of a sudden wanted to stand up and decide something. And part of what made it palatable, like 
what made it help me be able to lean into grace or not with them is like, have you been showing up before now? Like, have you been in it with me on the day to day on how can we be in a healthy relationship, just you and me beyond the national crisis that we're seeing mm-hmm. now? And if you've been in it with me, I know then there's this commitment. So you're, you have built, you have built a relationship that can hold the accountability piece and doesn't just make me have to teach you at my own expense, right? Where the whole thing mm-hmm. is at my own expense. But there were definitely folks who all of a sudden are posting things, especially that were like, about having to articulate how hard this was for them as white people, how their heart, like, I'm like, if I see the term again, like my heart hurts with you or my heart aches with you. I'm like all these aching white hearts everywhere. But where were you all where this, when it really mattered? And for me, it mattered in, are you building a day-to-day relationship with me where I can be real about when you're hurtful and I can be real about ways that are really beautiful to be together. Like if we can figure that out, then it doesn't feel like this was your moment to show that you know how to stand up for Latina or for Black man or for whatever. And I had some hard conversations with some folks where I was like, you know what you could have really done instead of posting all this stuff on Facebook? You could have reached out to me, the person of color in your life Hmm. and been like, how are you? You know, I had like, you know, white folks that are close to me where I'm like, I'm one of the primary, I'm one of the few close people of color in your life that you have an ongoing relationship with. And you never once reached out to just be like, how are you doing? How can I be Hmm. there for you? And said, you posted this whole long thing on Facebook, but the one person you're actually connected to in a real way, nothing like that's, that's what solidarity would have been more so than like posting something, you know, cause it's, you know, and that's, it brings that accountability piece for me. And the other thing that this makes me think of the other story, you know, because I think this is sort of it's different dynamics when we do it, when we talk about this with communities of power, like white folks or men or, you know, and it's mm-hmm. a little bit of different dynamics when it's amongst, you know, uh, different communities of color that have mixed levels of power and privilege amongst all of us. I remember when I was in seminary, I took a class on womanist theology and ethics. So, it's yeah. like, you know, black feminist, for you. <laughs> yeah, it was really great, you know, black feminist perspective of theology and social ethics, but the way they talk about black feminism, um, they define black as part of the African diaspora. So here mm-hmm. I am, this Latina in this class, you know, focusing on the African diaspora and I'm trying to figure out what that, what does that require of me? What does that mean for me in thinking about social justice and ethics? Um, and I, I shared in the class, I was like, well, you know, here's the thing. This is a really interesting invitation for me because my mother is Afro-Latina. Mm-hmm. Because Africans were also brought, mm-hmm. slaves were also brought to Central America. 80, 85% of captive Africans were brought to the Caribbean and South Whoa. America. Yeah. <laughs> More went to Central and South America that were brought here. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, my parents, you know, picked cotton and cut sugar. Like if you go visit my mom's side of the family, it's like, you'd be like, wow, look at all these black folks, you know, because of internalized anti-blackness, they don't talk about it that way. And we were mm. never supposed to talk about it. like the blackness is so invisibilized. Like we've got our own healing work to do there. But and then trying to think about, so what does that mean for me as, as a lighter skinned Latina with an Afro-Latina mom? Like, mm. what does this mean of me in terms of my personal social ethics? And what is this work? And I definitely got a lot of pushback, you know, from some of the black women. And it was confusing. Like, I had to really grapple with it where they were like, stay in your lane. 
<laughs> you know, stay in your lane. This is our pain. This is our theology. This is what we get to name for it. You all have your own Latina feminist theology. Go talk to, you know, professors about Mujerista theology. Do your thing, but this is our lane. And, and I could understand the, like, our stories are so watered down and invisibilized and cut down. Let us just speak our truth. And at the same time, I was like, but we're doing this either or black and white binary thing that is invisibilizing than the African diaspora itself. Like, what am I supposed to say to my mom? Like, what do I say when I connect with her? What does that mean? And I had to really think about like, what does it mean as a lighter skinned Latina who has to grapple with anti-blackness and my lighter skin privilege to show up with women of the African diaspora, which includes my own mother. Like it got complicated with power dynamics, but it was also like something that, you know, the messiness that we had to press into, what does, what do I have to be aware of to show up well? Uh, it was, it was like things got emotional, things got hard, but that's what we had to figure out because it had real implications on like, sure, we can name all these values around justice and all these values around social ethics. But when it comes time to actually working together, and carrying this out in the world in a way where we're not just continually hurting each other, that's where the river hit the road and we had to figure things out. And that's where things get messy and often people give up on each other and are like, you're not allowed. Basically they're like, you're not allowed in our club. So I was like, okay, I'm not allowed in your club, but I don't think this is the irresistible future we're dreaming of, you know, how to, had to, had to really figure that out. Well, and that, I, I'm so glad you said there's so much more there and there's so much that we can get into and we never have enough time. It's the constant struggle of not just on counter stories, but in our conversations, just in general, we never have enough time. But I think one of the things that you hit on is something that you said earlier, right? That willingness to, to jump in. I think that gets to that authenticity, that willingness to jump in and process and deal with the messiness and engage in that, especially in the pre-work before we get into a space of 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 having to come at systems together and organize in that way, if we've done that pre-work, then we've taken care of a lot of that messiness on the front end. And so we're in a better space of being able to do that outwardly. You know, I, I know we have to wrap and I thank you so much uh, uh, for coming together. Every time we get to a space like this, quotes start jumping in. And this quote from Ralph Ellison came to me. If you can show me how I can cling to that which is real to me while teaching me a way into your society, then and only then will I drop my defenses and hostility and I will sing your praises and help you to make the desert bear fruit. That jumped into my head the moment I heard you start to really dig into and describe and tee us up for some important conversations to have about authentic solidarity. Thank you, Cindy, so much for joining um, us on Counter Stories today. Uh, this has been Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and executive director of Arts Us. Don Eubanks, associate professor of School of Social Work, Metropolitan State University and cultural consultant. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group. And of course, our guest. Cindy Modales Garcia, co-founder of the Courageous Change Collective. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Counter Stories. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs>